Last Sunday, we, start, we began our Thanksgiving series for 2019 called Windfall. Uh, we're talking about pieces of unexpected and overlooked good fortune. Specifically in this series, we're, we're going to talk about four different windfall blessings. They're very real blessings from God, but we either don't recognize them as blessings or we overlook them as blessings. Last week, we talked about how that each one of us is blessed with a need. We have a lot of needs, but the specific need that we looked at is that we are designed for each other. We need each other. We're not designed by God to live alone, work alone, uh, do anything uh, alone. I need you, you need me. Both of us need God together. We were created for community. And we talked about the need particularly for a spiritual family, for a church family, and for a, a smaller group even within the church where we, you can grow closer and more open and sometimes even more vulnerable. Today, uh, I just want to start with a couple of questions for you. Think about this. Is there something significant that is bothering you? I'm not talking about drivers who don't use their turn signals or long lines at Starbucks. That doesn't count. That's not what bothers you. I'm talking about something that goes beyond your personal likes and dislikes. Something is not about you. Something is not about what makes you comfortable. Something that's not about what makes life better for you. Is there an issue or a group of people or something going on that sometimes keeps you awake at night? Uh, causes you to pray one minute and then wonder the next minute, what can I do? I want to do something about this. Is there something in this broken world that bothers you deeply and makes you un uncomfortable and stirs you up to the point that you think about doing something, not just saying something, it's easy to talk, talk's cheap, but that you think about doing something. If so, then perhaps you are blessed with a burden, which is the, the, our thought for this morning. Perhaps God has blessed you with a burden. Perhaps God has blessed you with a burden that reflects not, not you, but reflects God's heart and is tempered by God's spirit in you. Think of, a, of your burden or your blessing uh, as a blessing, excuse me, not as a curse. You know, sometimes we get burdened down by something. We just say, I wish I, I, wish I didn't think about that. I wish I didn't care about that. But each of us needs to be blessed with a burden that, uh, that doesn't weigh us down, you know, but a burden uh, that uh, it, it belongs to God because our own burdens just kind of weight us down. Uh, but God's burdens don't do that. They may require work and sacrifice and suffering, but ultimately they, they bring rest and fulfillment and reward. Let's start with this, this passage of Scripture, something that Jesus said. It's always good to start with something Jesus said. Jesus said this in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you feel that way a lot of times in your life? I just can't take this anymore. You know, this, is this what life is all about? I, I, you know, just one problem after another problem. It's work and it's family and it's this and it's that. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is a, like a harness that connects two uh, animals together to pull uh, in unison. So this would be you and God together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and 
humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And verse 30 says, for my yoke, that thing you, that harness you get in with me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word easy can, could also be translated better or kind or gracious or good. And, and God is saying to us, now if you, if you take my burden on you and you get in the harness with me, you and I are pulling together, it's a lot better than you going by yourself just being burdened down by all the stuff that life brings along. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, light in comparison to the burden that you bear alone. We all know what, that, what that's like. We all know how to live our lives and we are so burdened down that we don't think we can make it tomorrow. All, and it's just about the stuff in life. Your personal burden, and that's, we're not talking about your personal burden today, but your personal burden that Jesus is calling you away from is always about you. Uh, and it's always about what makes you comfortable. It promises if you'll, just, if you'll just hang with us a little bit longer, things are gonna get better. If you'll stick with us a little bit longer, things are gonna get better. But you know what? They never do. They never get any better. God's burden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's burden for you to bear with him always has something to do with somebody else and not you. Bearing God's burden with his help is fulfilling and rewarding and ultimately, ultimately it's refreshing. It, that's the kind of rest, the, the refreshing kind of a rest. So we're gonna talk about that uh, today, beginning with this. Just, some of you say, yeah, I have a burden. Some of you say, no, I don't have a burden. But three questions to help you identify your burden. I want you to think about these. First one is this, what breaks your heart? What do you see, you look around you, uh, it's in your church, it's in your neighborhood, it's on the news, it's in the world or whatever. What breaks your heart? Is there a group of people that are hurting or, or some evil that is hurting people and it grieves you? In the Old Testament scripture, we have examples of, of such heartbreaking burdens. There was a guy in the Old Testament who was not a prophet and he was not a priest, but his heart was broken for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament. This guy's name was Nehemiah. Uh, he was the cupbearer for a Persian king by the name of Artaxerxes. I think there were actually four Artaxerxes. I think this is number one in all likelihood. And I always like to give you a little historical backdrop just to show you this is real stuff going on in real time. God's chosen people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, had a long history of doing the wrong thing and bringing God's judgment on them. And so they had actually divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And both of them were taken into captivity by foreign powers because of their sin. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians. Uh, in 586 BC, the southern kingdom was conquered by the Babylonians. The Israelites of the northern kingdom were absorbed into Assyria and eventually into other cultures, but the people of the southern kingdom remained intact in Babylonian captivity. And after the power of the Babylonians was broken by the Medes and the Persians, bringing on the Persian uh, empire, many Jews were allowed to begin and even encouraged to begin returning back uh, to Israel, going back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their city. 
And so we pick up the story in about 444 B.C., after many Jews had returned and their temple had been rebuilt. Now remember, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the Persian king named Artaxerxes. Nehemiah, he's got a book named after him in the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Now, that's very historical. That's the reason I read it. Let's stop there. The month of Kislev, that, that uh, spans November, December. So we're talking about this time of the year, November, December. Artaxerxes, uh, Persians, Persia's sixth king, began reigning in 464 B.C., and this is his 20th year, so now it's 444 B.C. And they're in the citadel of Susa, which is the winter capital uh, of the Persian Empire. Uh, and verse 2 says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Just remember, Nehemiah, he's a captive. He's a slave. He lives uh, in the king, in the, uh, under King Artaxerxes. But his brother and some other people had gone home, and they were bringing back word of what was going on. And they said to me, verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse four, when I heard these things, it broke my heart. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days, not just a, a few minutes, but for days, for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem uh, he, he'd never been there at this period of time. He was born uh, in captivity. Uh, but that was his home, and that's where his heart was. When he heard that Jerusalem was in terrible disrepair, that the people were in disgrace, that pe everybody around them just laughed at who they were. They were open to attack. He couldn't even stand up. He just collapsed to the ground, and he prayed, and he cried, and it went on for days. The people had started rebuilding uh, Jerusalem by this time. By the way, the temple had been rebuilt. They got started rebuilding the walls, but they faced su such opposition that they couldn't continue. And so for some days, uh, Nehemiah thought about this and prayed about this, and it, it absolutely broke his heart. That's what I'm talking about. Does anything like that break your heart that way? And do you know what happened? God used the man with the broken heart to guide Judah back uh, by rebuilding the city's walls and reordering their social and economic lives. And, and what he accomplished in a brief period of time was incredible. And, and you can read all about it. I can't, don't have time to read it to you, but you can read all about it in the book of Nehemiah uh, in the Old Testament. But here's an example of a guy and, and something broke his heart and it broke him down and he went before God. And he said, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And God sent him back, and he's the guy that God used to fix the situation. So what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? If nothing breaks your heart, then you need to ask God to break your heart over something. What breaks your heart? Who's hurting? <clears throat> or what's, go what's going on that hurts you? Maybe it's young girls who are abused or young boys that grow up without a dad. You know, uh, uh, I hate to mention too many things because there's more things out there than I could even think about. But what breaks your heart? Here's a second question. What makes you angry? 
what makes you mad. Again, I'm not talking about the, the petty anger that comes from inconvenience, you know, the person with 25 items in the 10 item line at the grocery store. I'm not talking about that. The, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not talking about something that's all about you. What makes you angry because it makes God angry? What, what, what makes you angry because it hurts innocent people? What makes you angry because it hurts the weak and indefensible people in the world? There's an example in the Old Testament of a guy by the name of Moses. Most all of you would know who Moses was. Moses was a Hebrew, an Israelite, who was born in Egypt during a period of time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. But by the intervention of God, Moses was raised as the son of the Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. So he was raised in royalty, but he never forgot who he was. He always knew that he was Moses, the Hebrew, Moses, the Israelite. One day when Moses was about 40 years of age, well-educated, influential, rich, had everything that anybody would want, life on cruise control, nothing to worry about. It was in the late 15th century, probably around 1485 B.C., Here's what happened, Exodus, recorded in the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter two, verse 11. One day, after Moses had grown up, yeah, he had grown up, he was 40, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He went and he looked and he thought, I got it made. But those are my people out there. And they're being beaten and they're worked from before the sun goes up till after the sun goes down. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his own people, and that's all he could, he couldn't take anymore. It made him so angry that he killed the Egyptian and buried him in a shallow grave to protect his Hebrew brother. Now, I'm not saying that Moses did the right thing for that action. It cost some, some negative stuff. Uh, the Hebrews didn't appreciate him for him, and he had to run for his life, and he lived in the desert for 40 years after that because of what he had done. But guess who God sent 40 years later to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. It was Moses. Moses who went down there and said to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. And Moses led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, into freedom, and eventually to the edge of the promised land. What makes you really mad? What makes you really angry? Is it crooked politicians? or elderly people who are abandoned and forgotten, living in nursing homes and nobody ever sees them. Uh, some of the best quotations of the world come from a lady who gave her life up for other people. Her name, uh, she called her, is Mother Teresa. I found an interesting quote from her. She said this, am I ever angry or frustrated I only feel anger, angry sometimes, and here's what makes her mad when I see waste. When things that we waste are what people need, things that would save them from dying. It makes me mad. Frustrated? No, never. She's a better woman than me. I get frustrated. <laughs> she said, no, I don't ever get frustrated. Uh, I'm just, and I know the job is way bigger than I am, and but she says, the only thing that really, really, really makes me mad, people throwing away food and clothes and all kinds of stuff that could save somebody's life. What makes you angry? Here's a third question. What do you care about 
that others don't care about? Is there something that bothers you a lot and you're passionate about it and you wonder why everybody isn't as passionate as you are about it? Does that, does that you know, ring a bell, strike a string with you anywhere? Why is it that everybody doesn't care about people in third world countries with no clean water? Why doesn't, that everybody doesn't seem to be passionate about human trafficking or high-risk pregnancies or inner-city kids or the environment or, or people with terminal illnesses or the fact that people die every day and go to hell and we could do something about it? Why is it that there's something that you care about nobody else seems to be quite as concerned as you are? Here's the reason. Because God has blessed you with that burden and want you to do something about it. Of course, we all share some in all burdens, but we're, if we were all blessed with the same burden, only one thing would ever get done. God blesses each one of us with different burdens and, and, and we're the point person for that. You know, we're out there saying, hey, people have to care about this. We gotta do something uh, about this. When the future king of Israel was still a shepherd, he visited with his brothers on the front line, the battle line where they were getting ready to do battle with the Philistines, Israelites against the Philistines. And when David, who later became King David, David who wrote the 23rd Psalm, uh, arrived, he was just in time to see this giant walk out for his daily taunt of Israel, nine and a half foot tall, Goliath, huge guy, uh, awesome kind of a figure, scary guy. He, he would walk out every day and make fun of the Israelites. And all the Israelites are looking at each other and they're saying, somebody ought to do something about this. This ain't right. Somebody, somebody needs to take care of the situation. But, you know, I don't feel called uh, to do that myself. And so 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26 records this. David comes for a visit. He's just a younger guy. He asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Who does this guy think he is? Just because he's nine feet tall, he thinks he can talk to God like that? Don't worry. Why isn't somebody taking care of this? Don't worry, I got this, I got it. And he took care of it. So, as we think about those questions, here's, the que here's a, a blank to fill in anyway. How would you fill in this blank? I am burdened by what part of God's heart has God put in you? How would you respond to that in God's name? Whatever you can put in that, on that line, understand that God loves you so much that he's trusted you with something that is important. This is the burden he's placed on your heart. Now, there are two ways or two groups of ways that you can respond to that. There's the right ways and the wrong ways. The, right, the wrong ways, let's start with the wrong ways. The wrong ways would be this. The wrong ways to approach your burden, number one, be to complain about it, right? This is terrible. It's the government's fault. It's the education system's fault. It's the neighborhood's fault or my favorite. What's the church doing about it? Stop complaining. Do something. Complaining doesn't help anybody. Do something. If, 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 if you see it 
and it burdens you, maybe you are the one that God wants to use. Second thing you could do is ignore it. We, we all, we're all really good at that. Well, that re- makes me re- really uncomfortable. I'm just not going to think about that. I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears. You could ignore it. Or number three, you could appease it. Sometimes we're burdened by something that's really important, and so we'll say, here's five bucks. Here's 10 bucks. Here's 100. You know, in other words, I'm going to do something minimal. I've done my part. Let somebody else do the rest. And that makes me feel better now. I feel better because I gave $5. And uh, uh, I'm going to go back to taking care of number one, take care of me. We could appease it. So you can complain about it. You could ignore it. You could appease it. We all know that those things aren't good. Here's, here are the right ways, two right ways to embrace your burden. Number one, let your burden ruin you. Just let it overcome you. Let it change your life. Uh, let it get a hold of you so much that you can't walk away from it. Uh, what you can't ignore, you have to embrace. Surround yourself with people that feel that way about it. Read about it, hear about it, study about it, investigate. What can I do? Most of us, you know, we just want to go to church and be blessed. Uh, our goal for the Christian life is not to have any problems, and that's one of the things that goes smooth. I kind of like that. Want things to go smooth. We don't want a lot of problems, don't want a lot of responsibilities, don't want a lot of burdens. There was an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah. We have a little Isaiah around here, by the way. I always thought he'd make a good prophet. Uh, but, and maybe he will be someday. But uh, at one point in his ministry, Isaiah saw a vision of God on his throne in heaven. Uh, John in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle John in the Gospel of John says that what Isaiah saw was Jesus. But here's Isaiah's reaction to this, this vision when he saw God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he said, Woe to me. I'm in real trouble now. I cried. Woe to me, I cried. I am, I'm ruined. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord, the King, the Lord Almighty. I've seen God. Other versions, by the way, for I am ruined, say I am undone or I am lost. But but basically, Isaiah looks and he says, you know, I, I used to think I was an okay guy. I used to think I was a pretty good guy. I used to think that God was lucky to have me as his prophet, and now I see that I'm nothing in comparison. Now I see that I'm a sinner. I have unclean lips and unclean hands, just like all these other people that are sinning against God. And once Isaiah got a good look at himself in comparison to God, he was ruined. He was never the same again. Never again could he be complacent about God's call on his life. Never again could he just kind of, well, I'll do a little here and then I'm going to do a lot of something else. Uh, He could never again make excuses for why he was too busy or too young or too old or too whatever to do what God had called him to do. God wants to ruin you, and he wants to ruin me with his burden. The second thing here besides ruining you, let let your burden move you to action. So first of all, let your burden ruin you, and then secondly, let your burden move you 
to action. Let your burden ruin you to the point that you do something about it. We, we make ourselves feel good about talking about things and watching things, but, but let it ruin you so much that you do something about it. Here's how Isaiah responded to being ruined by God. Verse 8, Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. Pick me, God, pick me. Let me do it, let me do it, God. Please, please let me do it. If you think the church is not friendly enough, be a greeter, be friendly to people. If you think more needs to be done with kids, teens and babies and senior adults, do something about it, get involved. Say, what can I do? Pick me, God, pick me, pick me. I'll help you, Miss Jean, in the nursery. I'll help you, Miss Holly, in, in kids' worship. I, I'll do, I'll help whatever. Just pick me, pick me. I want to do whatever I can because I see a need. Pick me, Lord. Ruin me with a burden. Make it where my life is not mine anymore. Let, let me go. Use me. And now, some of you would say, yeah, I know what my burden is. I know what I should be doing. God has placed this burden, and so I just pray, God, ruin me. Help me to, to do something about my burden. And, and the rest of you might say, well, I don't know what it is that God wants me to do. I've never felt that way before about anything. At least nothing big or important, and there, there's nothing that's unimportant, by the way. If God lays, I don't care. Uh, if it's worldwide or if it just happens in one room. It doesn't make any difference. Perhaps then we need to pray, God, reveal what your burden is for me so that I can reflect your heart in the world. The best way, by the way, to find out what God wants you to do is just start doing something. You can pray about it and pray about it, and pray about it, and read scripture, and read scripture, and read scripture. And if you never get up off your seat, I don't think you're gonna learn much. Get up off your behind, and you go do, start doing something, and all of a sudden those scripture verses and those prayers, they just keep, seem to bloom uh, into reality. So do something for God. We have uh, <clears throat> these... Uh, Operation Christmas Child Boxes over here. That's because someone, some ones, without calling names, had a passion for Operation Christmas Child. And they did something about it. We've got some other projects going on. But I just mentioned this one because this is today's project. Now, I don't know how many boxes uh, are there and how many other boxes will be added to that, but here's what I know. Every one of those boxes will be hand-delivered to a child somewhere on this planet that would get absolute, uh, what's in that box is the greatest gift they have ever received in their entire lives. And when it's hand-delivered, uh, there's some printed material inside of it in their own language. It's about Jesus. And there are people speaking to them in their own language, people that are like them not foreigners, people who are like them, speaking their own language, telling them about how Jesus loves them and about the gift of Jesus to the world.
And so what I'd like for us to do this morning when I, as I close my part is just to ask God's blessing. Now, a lot of times we have some kids come out and hold the, hold the boxes. We're not gonna do that this morning. But you understand that, uh, that if you did one of these boxes, it's, it, 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 the impact could really be eternal. Suppose you impacted this child who grew up trusting in Christ and he impacted or she impacted her whole nation. Suppose that happened just because you took a box and you, from your heart, uh, you didn't say, well, what's the cheapest way that I can fill this box up? But you thought about this child and what this child might be like, what it might be like when she opened or he opened the box. And you pack that box uh, and it costs $9 or something to send it or whatever it is. And that box goes, and, and, and there are ways of tracking it, but we, these won't be tracked. And it doesn't really make any difference. It might make us feel better if we saw some little child open it up uh, and have a look on, on their face that we don't usually see on the face of our own children. Uh, but I want to tell you that a passion like that can change the world. And I don't care what your passion is. God lays it on your heart, it can change the world. Don't think of it as a curse. Don't quit because nobody else seems to be as passionate about it as you are. Think about it as God's blessing, something God gave you that he didn't give anybody else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus, the gift of eternal life, the one who came died on the cross to pay the price of our sins. Thank you that you care about us and would you put a burden in each of our hearts to cause us to care more about other people than we care about ourselves, to cause us to care more about the impact that what we can do would have in the world than the glory we might get for ourselves. These boxes, these 50 or 60 or whatever boxes that might turn out to be, I ask you to bless each one of them. Bless the people who will handle the boxes. Bless the, uh, the uh, uh, transportation of those boxes, the people who will receive them and will personally hand them to kids. Bless those kids. May they see Jesus when they open the box. Thank you in Jesus' name.